This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. UFC 236 provides two of the best headlining fights in history. Adesanya and Whitaker seem to think they'd have a chance against John Jones. Dana White says he's going to unveil the future of fighting in July. What could that mean? We are joined by Roxanne Modafferi, who takes on Antonina Shevchenko at this weekend's UFC Fight Night in St. Petersburg, Russia. Thanks to those listening on PSN Toronto and Ottawa. Order the podcast. Tell your friends, review the show, subscribe. We appreciate any sort of listener feedback. Or if you have any questions or anything you want to talk to us about on combat sports or life in general, at Aaron Bronstetter, at Bazooka Joe V on Twitter is where we can be reached. And Joe, I don't think there's been mm-hmm. a, a show that I've been more excited to talk to you uh, coming out of an event. Yeah, I Because know. this is one of those events where, you know, after every event, there's usually like, oh, this is what's going to happen next in the story. Now, what do you think is going to happen with this guy and blah, blah, blah? Who's the next challenger? We know who these guys are going to face. But those two fights were two of the best main and co-main. Might be the, the best main and co-main event yeah. ever. Easily. Like, in, Easily. in history. If you yeah. take, like, the, the I guess, the both of those fights and put them together, yeah. it's unbelievable. Because yeah, when I saw you, the first thing I said was, like, best ever? And you were kind of like... Yeah, because I, I was trying to think about it. I'm hearing it, and I didn't want to jump to that conclusion. But when you forced me to think of fights that were better than them, I yeah, can't. Then Gastel Matt Sonia. I yeah. think it's the best fight ever. Yeah. Um, I have I, to go I, back I really and can't. watch it. But like, first off, if you ever asked me beforehand, like, what do you think is the? There's never been a a, a fight that I've watched in the past that yeah. I've covered or whatever where I was like, that is the best fight yeah. ever. Or like, definitively, I said it right after I saw it. That one I did. That one I was like, that is the best fight I've ever seen. Yeah, I was yeah. just, it was 25 minutes where like every single second of that fight was meaningful. Like when you think of the things you need for it to be the best fight, you had both guys being hurt at many times of the fight. You had, you know, an exchange of, you know, dominance. You've seen someone who's not good on their, you know, we don't know how good they are on their back, go on their back and yeah, do well. And do triangles, and, yeah. Yeah, so that kind of did well. We saw him stand back up to his feet. We saw Gaslam have trouble with distance. Like, we had everything for yeah. a perfect fight. We, ha- we saw both guys literally willing to die in that cage, which was phenomenal, and you saw it in, in both of their eyes. And we saw damage. We saw blood. We saw it all. And, and I mean... I have to really go back, look at the list of top fights, but right now, like, it is. Yeah, I, I just, I can't think of anything that that off the top of my head, if you name a fight that's ever yeah. happened in the UFC, I mean, I watched Rory versus Robbie recently, and yeah. a lot of people think that might have been one of the best fights ever, and this fight was better than that one, yeah. because there were lulls in the action in that fight, whereas this one didn't have any. Like, it was just 25 minutes of, like, every, everything... Like, every moment was important, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hard for me to even get it out into words because I feel like I'm almost downplaying it, but it was that good of a fight. Yeah. When, when you look at it, was it as close um, as a fight as you thought? Was it all yeah, up to that even, fifth round? Yeah, it was even going into the fifth. I thought yeah. it was pretty clear-cut, too, that it was even going into the fifth. Yeah. Uh, I thought the rounds were pretty decisive on, uh, for each guy. So uh, I think that's what was part of the appeal the of the excitement. Too, is like you get excited knowing whoever wins this round is going to win the fight. Yeah, yeah. And oh, Adesanya yeah. came through. Yeah, I mean, I, I was cheering at home. Like, I mean, by myself. I, I rushed home from the Raptors game, and I was cheering by myself. That's how you know it's a good fight when there's nobody in your house and you're still cheering. So, I mean, and, and to know Israel and to, to know the investment and to see his reaction after, like, it was just like a, man, a nice little roller coaster to watch. 
Yeah, and it must be cool for you to see somebody who was in glory oh, yeah. end up being a UFC champion. Crazy. Like, I mean, it's just so nice to see. Like, I was getting goosebumps to see his emotion, and it even brings me back to, like, when I won. So it kind of was like it was an emotional experience to see it. And, I mean, to see Israel get emotional like that and um, to, to thank his coach and the way he did it, man, like, it's it's incredible what he did. You yeah, can't take anything away from All class after the fight as well. Yeah. Like, he's a good winner, and that's always good to see. Um, I mean, it was tough being in the back and seeing uh, Kelvin and Max have to go to the hospital afterwards Yeah, yeah. Uh, because you would have liked to hear. I think what both guys should go to the hospital yeah, regardless right. after that fight. Well, you would have liked to have heard what he was going to say afterwards, but... Uh, even so, I, I thought that just what Israel did in there and what Kelvin did on, in there in terms of just laying it all on the line yeah. was pretty incredible. And I know a lot of people complain about the interim titles. Do you think that added to the fight? Made yeah, those guys yeah, dig, sure. dig to those, those, those bigger Absolutely. spots, right? Absolutely. And I think, that, I think that we've got to stop this interim title conversation now. I think the only issue with interim titles is that when a guy like Colby Covington wins it, and then they're like, well, we need you to fight now. And he's like, well, your doctors aren't clearing me. And then they take the title away. Or Tony yeah, Ferguson, yeah. the interim champion. And that is when it becomes like, like the Colby Covington Yeah, issue when the title just disappears. And when they're supposed to be the next person in line, they're the deserving next person. That gets taken away. That really diminishes the value of the interim yeah. title, in my opinion. Um, but the the premise and the concept of an interim championship, I think, is important. Yeah. I think that when Robert Whitaker pulls out of a fight, Gastelum's left with nothing. He's still ready to go. Whitaker needs time to recover. That's grounds for an interim title. Khabib suspended, says he's not going to fight until whatever, October, November. It might be September now. Grounds for an interim championship. Like, if there's a reason to have it, I'm totally cool with it, and I think that it makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, the idea of Colby getting an interim championship didn't make a lot of sense at the time because Woodley was ready to fight like a month or two later. But, uh, you know, be that as it may, I think that having a belt on the line regardless of whether it's an undisputed championship or not, brought the best out of all four of those competitors. Yeah. What I don't like that the UFC does, I think the interim belt should look different from your world championship belt. I think there should be a subtle difference between them. Well, I thought they were going to get old belts because the new belts, you get like a ruby every time you defend it. Yeah. And apparently if you... Like, this is the really weird part about it. Like, if they win the Undisputed belt, they get a second one of those legacy belts because it's technically their first belt, and they keep the other one. But champions, when they win, only get it, yeah. they only get one, yeah. and they only weird. get the rubies afterwards. So, like, you're getting more belts if you're an interim champ? I, I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't make I, I mean, it could be something so subtle. It can sense. be, like, a slight different color instead of the belt yeah. being, you know? Like, I mean, Glory has done that with different colors. Or give them half a belt. Yeah, and then they get the other half if they beat the champion. Yeah, I don't know. But, I mean, I'm it shouldn't look the that. same. It shouldn't look the same. There should be some difference between the two. But yeah, again, then in you see on SportsCenter, you see the visuals. Yeah, and, and if you don't it. know what's going on, it's like, oh, they won the championship. But now, would you consider someone like, is Adesanya the world champion now? He's a champion. Yeah. He's not the champion, but he's yeah. a champion. Right now, there's two champions. Yeah. So, I mean, and Whitaker is not the undisputed champion. He's a champion. Yeah. And these two champions are going to unify the belt. And that's, it is what it is. But I I think it still makes sense. Now, what are your early thoughts on uh, Whitaker Adesanya? Well, I saw that Whitaker was favored, and I I don't get that. Because Whitaker, to me, is not as good of a grappler as Gastelum is. Um, He's a better striker than Gastelum, but not by much. Better distance, in and out. Yeah, and if you're doing striker versus striker, and it's a guy like Adesanya, like, wouldn't Adesanya be the favorite? Like, just from a striking standpoint, like, if if we're to assume that most of this fight, if not all of it, stays on the feet, shouldn't Adesanya get the benefit of the doubt? I think, in my mind, I think he's a favorite. Yeah, I I I agree with you. I think think he should have been favorite. favorite. He should have been favorite. I mean, they've opened the line, and Whitaker was the favorite. And I I think he still is, but I... 
I don't see that. I think by the time that fight rolls around, that Adesanya will be favored. And then, okay, if you put him against a Yoel Romero, okay, I'd sure. maybe put him as a slight underdog mm-hmm. at that kind of fight because you have that element of the grappling and the wrestling. But uh, And that power. I don't think Whitaker doesn't have that Romero power where he's going to hit you and crack you and, and, and kind of put you out the way he does and have that game-changing power. So, yeah, I think Adesanya's a slight favorite in my books. I don't think there are a ton of middleweights. Actually, Kelvin might be the one that has the, the, one, the one-shot power. Event, like the most one-shot power of anyone in the division in terms of a guy that can they can hit you once yeah. and drop you and But I think you. that was his issue in the fight. He relied too much on one-shot power. I yeah. think after he threw the big shot, he needed those follow-up punches, you know, Adesanya being shelled up, slightly hurt. You know, he would just didn't have those follow-ups that would have been nice. But this is or what, a nice kick or something. Like, he, he had the one. He did so successful to have Gaslam land a head kick on Adesanya was phenomenal. But this is what I uh, I told people after the fight. That was my assessment of Gaston's performance. He ha- he did really really well with a really really bad strategy. Yeah, like if you're if you're going into that fight and you're Gaston, the first thing you should be doing is trying to get a takedown. Yeah, just whether you get it or not doesn't matter. Just to get that in your opponent's head yep. that yep. the takedown's going to be there or that, yeah. that that's, that's touch the, the strategy. Leg, fake it. Touch the leg. Exactly. Yeah. He didn't do any of that until like the second, third round. Like he, I guess at, in the first round when he went for that because takedown he after hit he rocked him, right? him. Because he rocked him, I guess he thought that he had the advantage on the feet. Yeah, so like that's the, but that's exactly it. Like, you have more of an advantage on the feet if you bring the wrestling into it. I agree. Even if you're not using it, like, and then when he started, like, I think he was two for nine on takedowns. But I'd be curious to know how many of those nine takedown attempts were actual, were like in rounds three, four, five, rather than in rounds one, two. Yeah. Because, yeah. Uh, and I'm sure that's that's probably available somewhere, but. Like looking at those first two rounds, like that's when you're dry. That's when you have your most burst, your mm-hmm. most power. That's when you should be implementing the wrestling, not exactly. late in the fight. And yeah. by the time that happens, like once he starts stuffing your takedowns, you become, you know, like you start to get a little hopeless with it. Like you, you start to think, well, I'm not going to be able to take this guy down. Well, but maybe if you have he was a little intimidated of the counter punching. Adesanya is really slick at he moving is. back, catching you coming in, but. You're right, man. You have to fake the level change on him. You got to make him think twice. It'll open up the head punches. It'll open up his overhand left, what he's good at, mm-hmm. or throw that overhand left that's so successful, then kind of yeah, follow into a, a takedown. Yeah, thing. exactly. Mix in the feints, but no, absolutely. And when I was watching the fight, that was the thing that kept going through my head with Kelvin. It's like, Kelvin can, I was thinking, Kelvin can knock him out. He's got that kind of power, but his his best tool against the Adesanya isn't going to be his striking. It's going to be his takedowns. Yeah. Like, even when I asked Kelvin and during media day, I go, like, is your strategy going to be to try to take him down? And he goes, no, I wanna, I'm going to stand with him. I feel like my boxing mm-hmm. is sharp enough to can And I was thinking, well, it's like, it probably is, but, like, don't you want to have an array of weapons that yeah. you're going to, like, use your, your two? You've got two great tools. Adesanya's got one great yeah. tool. Like, if you were to, say, assess all of their skills and give them a ranking from, whatever, 1 to 10, like, Gastelum wrestling and his striking are both going to be in like the 7, 8, 9 range, mm-hmm. whereas Adesanya's striking is probably like a 10, but like the rest of his game, like his takedowns and bo- takedown defense and all that isn't there. It's not in the, like that, that really upper echelon yeah. I would really category. like to talk to someone who's really good with wrestling and good with takedowns to rate how Gaslam's takedowns were. I mean, talk, um, listening uh, to some other podcasts and stuff about... Gaslam and his takedowns, they, they didn't really think it was a quality takedown, you know? Like, I mean, I'm not the one to judge that, but, uh, I mean, who knows? Maybe his wrestling isn't as good as we thought. Well, well, that's the problem, though. It's like he didn't show us his wrestling when it was going to be at yeah. its best in the fight. Okay, and, and I know you stopped me, and, and, and this drove me nuts. It was easy for Gaslam to have gotten that fight. When he had Adesanya rocked, 
For him to shoot to the takedown was the biggest mistake he's made in his career. I, I agree with you. There's no other bigger mistake. He That was his world title win right there at that moment. When he had Adesanya rocked against the cage, for him to shoot for the takedown was the biggest mistake of the fight. It was honestly the reverse strategy. Yeah. Like the strategy should have been takedown to set up the striking, yes. not striking to set up the yeah. takedown. And then at that moment, I could not believe it. I literally could not believe he went he for that takedown. He only had like a minute to operate at that point in time, if I remember. I'm going to have to go back and but watch. But Adesanya was so rocked at that yeah, point. he was rocked. He was so out of it at that point. Like, all he needed was, you know, two, three punches on the inside or, you know, something like, like that. But even he, some body shots. Something. That's, yeah. that's my other point. He didn't go enough to the body. I mm-hmm. found he did not go enough to the body being a 5'9 versus a 6'3. Like, you got to go to the body. Um, you got to go more for leg kicks. And that's what the other thing I thought with Adesanya, he didn't utilize his, his front kicks enough, you know, to keep that long range. Um, I think he could have used his kicks in the knees a little bit more effectively as well. Mm-hmm. But I think he just got caught into the fight where it's like he hit me with a punch. All right, let me get you back with the punch. That happens a lot with, with fighters, especially with elbows. In, in a fight, usually it's like this unwritten rule about elbows. And when one person throws it, that's it. It's like elbow yeah, fest yeah, now. Yeah, I gotta, now so I'm I mean, going to get you. Yeah. Yeah. So it, maybe it was a little competitive thing, but uh, regardless what it was, it was a phenomenal fight. Yeah. Sometimes you wish you had a control pad and you could just control what they were going to do next. I know. They, that, like, I'm, again, I'm so biased to the low kicks, but they're there all day. On um, both of those main fights, like even in that main uh, the main event, like the guy stopped kicking after the first few rounds. You got to mix in some kicks, man. Come on, boys. Mm-hmm. So now the fallout from this is we've heard both Whitaker and Adesanya talking about John Jones. Why? Yeah. yeah. Why? I don't know. It's, too, it, John, it's Jones is too big. Well, it's too that's big. That's exactly it. People were were Done. saying. I went out on Twitter and I said, like, what what weight class would Adesanya versus Jones be contested at? Because if Adesanya's walking in at 183, like he's weighed in yeah. twice at 183. Like, what's his walk-around weight? Probably like 190. He told me it was 200, Adesanya. Yeah. But I would think on fight week, it's probably around like 190. Yeah, 195 is the biggest. Like, there would be no benefit for him to bulk up to try to fight John Jones. The, the other not. thing is, I mean, and people are taking that 183 a little too serious. I was like, oh, my God. I, I, I mean, I heard watching the weigh-in, they were saying like, oh, I don't think we've ever seen someone come in 183 for a world title. I was like... It's not a big, like, it wasn't a big factor, I think, in weight because sometimes your weight cut just goes so well. And you make weight probably in the morning sometime. Then you have two, three hours before the weigh in, and then you lose a little bit of pound naturally. So I don't, I think the fact that everyone's talking about, oh, 183, he's so light, even for middleweight, I don't think it's that, it's not that. It just happens to lose a little bit of extra pound in there. He is light, though. Like, if you look at an Elias, like, if you saw Elias walking around or Eric Anders walking around, and you saw them next to Adesanya, their yeah, but, frames are significantly bigger. But I think the, the, the key factor is, like, you look at um, Elias Theodore, he carries a lot more fat. If you look at him in our offseason, he's got probably just a, a slight outline of a four-pack, where Adesanya is rocking a full six-pack probably all year round. But he's thin. So muscle, muscle he's mass, thin, right? He's, his frame is just so much thinner. Yeah. And I've, I've stood next to him, and I've stood next to John Jones, and it's apples and oranges. Yeah. John Jones is way bigger. Oh, I, uh, way no question. Bigger. And no on question. fight night, Jones would outweigh him by 30 pounds. Yeah, no, it would, it's a it stupid be, fight. It, it, it's a fight that makes no sense. I don't think no it'll sense. never happen. I don't think anybody has any desire to see it, but I mean, Adesanya is like calling him all these names. For and sure, Jones he has to. Like, why are you building up a fight that shouldn't happen. Yeah. And Adesanya was right. He was right in his assessment. He goes, right now, John Jones wants to get me while I'm easier to beat. It's like, yeah, that's probably true. Mm-hmm. But, like, you're two years younger than John Jones, almost to the day. 
So, like, when is this fight going to happen in your mind? Like, are, are you going to be 33 and Jones will be 35? Like, yeah. Jones will still be way bigger. He'll still be way better. It's like, apparently it's just those a fight tweets no of sense. John Jones are, are off now. Yeah, he, he took him off. Them. Yeah. But whatever. He's still, he's still firing shots at him anyways and then deleting. John Jones has been known to do this for years. He yeah. tweets stuff out and then deletes it afterwards. I think it's one, it's great for Adesanya. In my eyes, you know, the person we call the goat of the sport is is calling you out. I mean, why not embrace it, take it? But then and, Whitaker, and Whitaker like, went out and said uh, on Submission Radio uh, out in Australia, "Yeah, I think I would do well against John Jones for sure." He wants to get in on the. He wants to get in on the heat. Like I know Anthony Johnson used to fight at one seventy. We're talking about different things here. Yeah. Like Whitaker would be so outsized by Jones, it would oh, be laughable. Ridiculous. Like we, we're talking Jones we and heavyweight. We gotta stop this. Like, we're this, talking this Jones and heavyweight. We want Jones and Lesnar, and then we're gonna talk about a one eighty five. And I get their mindset is that they think they can beat this guy, but it's just it's. It's an embarrassing situation. It makes no sense. It's a fight that I don't think anybody really desires that much because yep. there's still a lot going on in middleweight. I mean, Jones needs challengers for sure. I think that Jones, we, we're looking for something fresh with Jones, yeah, but I think heavyweight's the answer. Yeah, that's, Jones shouldn't be moving exactly. down. Like, Jones isn't going to weigh in at 195 to impossible. fight Adesanya. It's, it's impossible. Yeah, no, I hear you. Or at the very least, improbable. I think it's just know. hype, man. Like like what Conor McGregor's doing after every show. He likes to throw in a little bomb here and there to just spark interest and but to, it's stupid. to create. It's not stupid. gonna happen. It's stupid. Yeah, and, but Dana White says it gets us oh, talking. Dana's like, oh, I'd be interested in Adesanya it gets versus us Jones. Talking. Yeah, but it's. But then people get all excited about the zone. They're like, they try to assess how how do you think this would go? It's like, no, no. Yeah. We're talking about a like a thirty to like a thirty five pound difference or a thirty pound difference yeah. here. Like this isn't. This is one eighty five to two hundred five. Like we're talking twenty pounds here. Yeah, no. Like heavyweight Jones could, if he walked like his walk around weight weight weights what probably two thirty two thirty five. Just steps probably on his, bigger at some points. Bigger, you know, yeah. he weighed two twenty five at UFC two thirty two when he was in the cage. So he put yeah. twenty pounds of mass back on. If he's thinking heavyweight, he's probably <clears throat> walking minimum two thirty five yeah. plus. Yeah, minimum for sure. Yeah. So when you look at Adesanya, like Adesanya would never be able to weigh out two hundred and thirty five pounds no. at, as a professional fighter. Just wouldn't. It's just his frame. He's 29. This is his frame. What we see right now is what Adesanya's frame is going to look like. He could probably put on a little bit of mass if he wants. Not but much. Not much. He can put a little bit. I mean, a good strength and conditioning program. And I understand. Like People look back and they're like, oh, Adesanya used to fight a 207 in kickboxing or heavyweight in kickboxing. It's like it's, we're talking about different sports here. Yeah. Like there's not as, as there's big, no wrestling, there's, there's no takedown, yeah, there's no, there's no laying exactly. on you and, and dropping it's elbows so much on more your technique face. Technique oriented in kickboxing, yeah. And also the heavyweights are, have a lot less techniques, especially yeah. if you're going to the lower rungs. Like you could probably beat like the majority of heavyweights. Oh, in my mind, I beat Rico Verhoeven, so <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> you can't really tell me that. Yeah. So, but, uh, but but that's exactly but yeah. it. So, and I think I'm sure in Adesanya's mind yeah, he could beat Jones, and I'm absolutely. sure in Whitaker's mind he could beat Jones. Absolutely, that's the fighter's mentality, right? It's a worthless thing to talk about right yeah. now. These like Adesanya and Whitaker could be the biggest fight in Australian history. And they're talking, like, about, and they're talking somebody about John, else. John Jones. Yeah. yeah. Like well, you guys are hustling backwards here. It makes no sense. Yeah. I like I like Whitaker. I like I like his personality. Um I I for some reason I don't I'm not really I like him as a person, but I don't know if I'm overly sold on Whitaker being this big huge dominant figure. I'm oh, not, who said that? I mean, when you hear people talking about being one of the best, if you ask his other colleagues in the UFC, they talk so highly of Whitaker being this phenomenal athlete. This, But, I mean, you see him fight, he gets I hurt, mean, he gets rocked a lot. <laughs> you know, like, I see it, but, I mean, I don't look at him as, like, um, so highly as a lot of the other fighters do. Like, he's great. I think say, he's good, but like, I don't do you think look at him as this high. say definitively like, that, that he's, like, the second best middleweight ever behind Anderson Silva? I I don't think so. No, like, I, think, like, I don't, I don't put him in that Rich conversation. Is, like, you know. No, I don't put him in that conversation. I think a lot of fighters do. Like, uh, hearing a lot of 
You know, other people talk about how good Whitaker is. I don't. I need to see more of it still. It's like I said to you. I said this to you a while back. If I said to you, you can fight any champion in the UFC, who do you think you have the best chance of beating? Yeah. Of course, men's I champion. Said we talked about here. You said yeah, Whitaker. For sure. I Easily. mean, you could probably beat Henry Cejudo also, but I'm talking about it. Like, I don't even know. Take, I don't him. even know if I can yeah, beat through the takedowns. The, take, the, yeah, the takedowns take are so fast, man. Yeah. I really don't even know. I, I think yeah. that's a more dangerous Holloway, fight for me. You could probably beat Holloway. Yeah, Holloway, yeah. But Holloway, you're not, you're not making Poirier 145. would love. Khabib would whoop me. I can't, I can't even pretend like yeah. I'd be able to. <laughs> that's a guy I won't even pretend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I won't even pretend. But he's going to get in a hell of a fight for that 10 seconds before he takes me down. Yeah, and then that's, that's it. True. And then I'll tap out. <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean, you're right. I mean, I think Adesanya, for some way, somehow created the perfect line to that that title. Mm-hmm. He got the perfect matchups. He got everything. Like, I mean, he could have easily gotten derailed from that path and fought like a Paulo Costa or a Yoel Romero. But, or be, a, but now that I've seen what he did to Gastelum. Like, I'm not convinced that he would lose to Yoel Romero or lose but, to God but, uh, Costa. That wrestling is a lot different. But, you know, the size, Romero, though, the physicality. The thing that people forget about with Romero is he rarely uses his wrestling yeah. offensively. Rarely. Because he just hits so hard. He hits you know? hard. He likes, to, he likes to stand. He likes to get into these exchanges. And, I mean, I don't blame him for not using his wrestling. Yeah. But you don't see him shoot a lot of takedowns. I think for the Adesanya, we will. I think he's going to use that, like, the strategy you said. Fake the takedowns, throw the bomb. Romero? Yeah, I don't think we're gonna see Romero versus Adesanya. Like Romero's forty three now. You don't think so? Like Romero, and I know I there's still know. talk about him moving up in weight too. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, how much how much more of a shelf life does Romero have, and how many more? Because keep in mind that in the last what is it two years, Romero's gotten three title shots, yeah. and he missed weight for two of them. But in the last one, that you know, questionably could have beat him. Beat I him think Whitaker, he should have right? won that fight. But he was even if he did, Whitaker would still be the champion. He's, he's so so then, what do you do after the Whitaker Adesanya? Paulo Costa's been out, right? I think well, that's Paulo been Costa's cleared up now, fight. right? I think he's going to fight. Um, Is it Yoel still Romero? Next. I think he's going to end up fighting Yoel next. And yeah. then the winner would get a shot at the potentially, but like, no, who else no, is no, there? because they who told Jacare, they told Jacare that if he beats Marshman, that he's getting the next title shot. And I think which Jac- is a scary fight for either. No, I don't know. Like Adesanya, the thing about Jacare is his takedowns aren't great either. Like if he gets you down, you're in big trouble. But he just lays if he, on if he you. Gets, he, he's like a lay no, on he's you. Sub, he'll sub you. Like yeah. he'll go for offensive submissions. But like, but he. he, he but what I mean get, is like he keeps so close to you. He yeah. won't give you that distance to strike. You'll. It's scary. I think. Anyways. That is that is a, a bad matchup for Adesanya yeah. for sure. But, but again, Jacare is also like 41, 42, right? Yeah. And if we're gonna be looking ahead to September, like how? Let me let me pull up Jacare's like Jacare's age right now and just see like how old would he be early next year if that's when he gets the next fight at the title? So he's born December, so he's gonna be forty. He'll be forty years old when he eventually gets his title shot. Jacare, yeah, he looks a lot older. So I mean, I like can a forty-year-old really be? So like then, who 20, is the like who is the toughest contender then in your eyes to fight someone like that? I mean, it might it might be Jacare because with Jacare, all all it takes is one takedown and he'll sub you. I mean, if Romero takes him down and he's on top of him, he's not getting up either. Yeah, I mean, Romero's yeah. a monster. Yeah. Uh, so I think both of those guys are. But we've got to remember that as you get older, you get more injured. It's harder yeah, to yeah. do to do what you want to do. And every fight starts on the feet. If Adesanya can get keep it on the feet, stay on the feet. You, you don't see Paulo Costa as one of the the top guys to be able to push it yet, or do you need He's, to see more? The, the problem, I yeah, th- that's the problem that I have with Paulo Costa is like if you look at Paulo Costa's resume. 
like what is the most the most impressive win on Paulo Costa's resume is Uriah Hall. He's I think it's Uriah just Hall. his size, he's beaten, right? Wash Johnny Hendricks. Yeah. He's beaten Bong Boche, who's not in the UFC anymore, and he's beaten Gareth McClellan, who I don't think is in the UFC anymore. He's he's got massive size, sure, but like let's see, like size, I don't think matters to Adesanya. I don't think size, I don't think a guy who's a more of a striking based fighter like Paulo Costa, mm-hmm. I think is a good matchup for Adesanya because I think it's going to stay mostly standing. I don't think that the size is going to be that big of a difference for a guy like an Adesanya who can keep it standing. Uh, because size does translate to power, yeah. sure, but it's not not like it's something that he's never. But faced like, before. If, if you looked at someone like, I mean, Gaslam in that ring, like even when Gaslam stepped on the scale at one eighty five, he still looked, you know, like he had like weight to take off. He still mm-hmm. had fat around his yeah. stomach. So, I mean, you're getting you th- hit uh, from a, a one ninety, a one eighty five er compared yeah. to like getting hit. Like if the way that Adesanya got hit from a real one eighty five er. That might put you out. Like, it snapped his head back pretty bad. Yeah, he got but you've got to remember that Gaston's a better striker than these guys. He's a better striker than Romero, better striker than Jacare, better striker than Paulo Costa. I personally think Gastelum, and this is why it impressed me so much, I think Gastelum could beat anybody at the top of that division for the most part. I mean, Weidman beat him. I, like, I acknowledge that Weidman beat Gastelum uh, and that the size mattered there, but Weidman has the best wrestling pedigree aside from uh, Yoel Romero. Like, mm-hmm. Romero would be a bad matchup for Gastelum, but Gastelum can, can knock anybody in that division yeah. out. I like Rockhold if he didn't go up to 205. Rockhold could have been a fun fight because he can strike pretty well. But if you Being put, with Henry if Hoops, you put he's Rockhold got good against kickbacks. Gastelum, he's getting knocked out. You're saying Rockhold's, Rockhold's getting, knocked, getting out. knocked out. In my opinion. Yeah. I mean, no disrespect to Rockhold. It's just he cuts so much weight for 185. I think he'll be better at 205. I'm interested to see how that looks. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, like that's why it's such an impressive win for me for him to beat a guy like Gastelum because I just think Gastelum's as good yeah. as it gets in the division. Like I think like there are a lot of people that Gastelum, I think at the top of that division would would beat and beat pretty easily. I, I actually liked him against Whitaker. I thought that he'd be a bad matchup for Whitaker and would probably have knocked Whitaker out. Yeah, he fought well. I mean, he could fight really good. I mean, I'm, I hope he didn't take too much damage, especially in that fifth round where we can see a full recovery from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he I took so some too. big shots, man. And I hope it doesn't hurt his confidence. Like that's yeah. what really matters when you're. And I mean, the, they could have stopped that fight near the end too easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, some sure. of those, some refs could have stepped in and stopped that fight. Like, but Gaslam was still shooting I like takedowns, though. but you can, you could, you could. I, I like that they let it go. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it, there's a world title on the line. He wanted to go. You yeah. let him go out, man. You know. Yeah, I agree with that. So I, I didn't think really that, that it should have been stopped, but you're definitely right. It could have been. Yeah. Um, how about the main event? We haven't even touched no, on that. No, I know. I was too hyped we up about that We're one. almost exhausted. <laughs> Getting fired up about that that fight. Um, but Poirier versus Max. Like, I I kind of saw the fight going this way. Yeah. Especially during fight week. I had, for sure. I had it playing out. If it wasn't for... If you go back and watch the last Embedded episode, there's footage of... Dustin Poirier limping pretty badly. Now I don't know if his leg was asleep or something, but it, like I was really? like, oh, I hope he's not injured. Did they talk about fight. it, or you no. just picked up on it? No, I just picked. Up. I should have asked him about it after the fight, actually. But uh, he was too in the zone. Like I don't think he would have said anything to me about it. But um, yeah, like he was just—he's just a, a bigger, stronger version of Max in terms of what they bring to the table. It's yeah. just volume striking, power striking, and Max. I don't think like I don't think Max has been hit by anybody like that before. No. A guy that's legitimately that size. That's a weight class above him. Like, there's a big difference between getting hit by, like, a Brian Ortega or getting hit by an, even an Aldo than there is, like, a legit 155-pound Poirier who... Who could box really yeah, well, man. Come really on. Well like, that, his boxing puts, was puts phenomenal. output, and it, it's yeah. every shot is hard. Yeah. 
Shark and boxing, kudos to Max man. for sticking in there for five yeah. rounds. He did what he had to do. Like, I mean, we saw the Max Holland all the way we all expected. Good pressure, good volume, you know, stay in your face. But when you have power, power changes things. Mm-hmm. Power changes the fight. And so, the thing that shocked me the most about uh, the aftermath of this fight is uh, Ariel had Mike Brown on. Yep. And um, they were talking about how Khabib thought it was a draw. And they're like, I don't know what scorecard would have been drawn. And I, I, I said, like, hypothetically, it could have been 10-8 Poirier. 10-9 Poirier, and then 10-9, 10-9, 10-9 Max, like giving Max 3-4-5. I said, that's not how I scored it, but yeah. hypothetically that could have been a draw. And so many people were responding to me being like, no, Max won that fight. Like a yeah, lot of people yeah. thought Max won that fight. I didn't think so. And I just, I, I can't see it. Like I can't see in what world you would have given that fight to Max Holloway. And I mean, you I, that's why I'm a little bit, we have to start giving more 10-8 rounds, I think, is, is, is very important in, in, in fights like this. I mean, you got to think, it's each round is scored separately now. So you can have, you know, I, I personally thought Poirier had it almost like 4-1. to one. Well, that's what the, you know? all the judges gave it to him was 4-1. to one. Yeah, so I kind of agree. I agreed with it totally. I just thought the damage has to play the big factor. Yeah. Like, I mean, output doesn't mean anything. If you hit me with 10 jabs and it doesn't mark me up, doesn't slow me down, but I hit you with one or two shots that bust your nose, I got blood coming out, it rocks you, you value those two shots mm-hmm. way more than you're valuing yeah. those 10 jabs, you know? And so p- you have to value those but the damage of, more. The weird thing about that, though, is like in the third round, everybody gave Max the third round. Yeah. Except for me. I thought Poirier, if you go back and watch that round, Poirier had controlled four minutes of that round and he got rocked at the end in the last minute. Yeah. But like, if you watch it on a minute-by-minute basis, like Poirier had most of that round. And then in the fourth round, a lot, like a lot of people gave it to Poirier, but I gave it to Max because I thought that Max, like Poirier hit that big knee on Max in yeah. the fourth to cut him Nasty. open. But yeah. aside from that, Max had most of the volume. Poirier looked tired and it seemed like he got a second win going into the fifth, but Going back, like go back and watch that third round, and you'll see how much success Poirier had leading up to that one point in time where Max got started to shift the momentum. I think that's an important thing. I think we need to go back and watch them again. I think th- we'll we'll see a lot more because I, th- and and that's where I can think I can f- truly see how important these fights were in the big scope of MMA. You know, but yeah, oh, I can't even. I was too hyped, man. Mm-hmm. I don't even know where to start, but. Um, Max Holloway, what I took from that was the class act and, and sportsman he was at the end. And I think that was just really nice to see. And I think we saw it a lot on both ends that they're not animals. They're not savages. We're nice people, you know. And I think the fact that um, that really showed was just phenomenal as well. Yeah. Did you watch the um, agony, uh, throw in the agony piece that they put out afterwards? They, no, they put no. out like a three-minute video that shows a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff. And right after the fight, Max handed his gloves to Dustin Poirier. Yeah, I heard that. I read, but I never saw it. And then you you see his wife, like Dustin says, like, hey, Max gave this to us to, like, raise money for whatever. And she, like, goes to embrace Max. Like, he hugs her. Like, just nice stuff like that that you don't get to see too much of. And then there was also um, just, like, uh, Max's kid was really upset. I saw that. And Shaq. Shaq, I saw that. Yeah, that's from that video. Yeah, okay. If you watch the full video, that's that's what uh, you can see, you know, when when Max gives his gloves. Like... That kind of stuff is amazing to see. And being backstage and seeing a lot of it firsthand, like um, seeing when I was interviewing uh, Poirier when Cormier came in with that flag yeah, yeah. to give him for Louisiana. I saw like, that. that. That kind of stuff is just cool stuff that you get to see where you really feel like you're in it. And I, I, I really enjoyed being part of that event, just being back there and feeling um, the energy. Yeah, just feeling the know? energy and, and seeing the fighters afterwards and uh, talking to Israel Adesanya afterwards and, and just seeing what he had gone through, like seeing what his face looked like, it was messed up, but like 
he and he was being honest. He goes, I don't want to be in those types of fights very often. Yeah, you know, like yeah. he knows that that is going to have taken a toll on him. For sure, you get you have to have a few of those in your career. I mean, I look at it. I had it with my my Holtzkin fight, which you know you got to go, you got to dig deep, you got to show to yourself sometimes that you can go to these kind of places. But I just think that what was nice was these these interim titles meant so much to these guys. You know, it wasn't it wasn't there like oh, it's just a stepping stone. That meant so much to both of them. The tears, the emotions. I mean, they fought like real champions, man, and that's what real fighting, real championships should be. I mean, we've seen a lot of these champions become really complacent, you know, and, and that's why we don't get these exciting fights because it's scary to lose that belt now, you know. Like, we, there's a lot of complaints about Tyron Woodley who, you know, just wants to do enough to win to protect his belt. But when you have two hungry people whose whole life relies on this world title, those are the type of fights you get. Yeah, it's amazing that like the prize for beating Max Holloway is you have to fight Khabib now. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. that's kind of crazy how how just how good the upper echelon of the sport is. Yeah. I mean, like it, is one fifty five the best division? I'd have to in, in your eyes. And I'm trying I, to think, I, like if you go division by division, probably like if one twenty five is now a barren wasteland. Yeah, which kind of sucks because my guy Malcolm is in talks. Oh yeah, now. I was gonna say Malcolm He's in talks now. Yeah, he looked what, what the UFC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Malcolm looked amazing this week. This weekend at, at, against Sherbatov, yeah. I watched that live. Um, I was sick in my hotel room. I was like, "Oh, TKO's on." Oh, Let's watch nice. that. Yeah, so um, I really got a lot out of that fight. I, th- I thought that uh, he really showed something. Yeah, I didn't get to see any leg kicks because it didn't last that long. No, he got he threw one body kick or yeah. one head kick. Yeah. He tried, but that was it. And he called you Joe Valentini, which I thought was funny. Yes, yeah, cute, <laughs> cute. That's funny. Yeah, <laughs> but he's uh, he look he looks really good. Yeah, how old is he? 29, 28? He's still uh, in his twenties, right? Twenty eight. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a good future, man. Yeah, he looks yeah. really good. And, and his so striking was incredible. Guys. Like I, I mean, I was cornering with Mark Hominick, um, uh, Chris Hordesky. So it's incredible to be. So those guys got to see the stuff we're working on. So me and Malcolm are, are right away. He's coming tomorrow to train us, or sorry, Saturday to, to train with me again. So he's ready to go back and learn. So we're going to see Here hopefully a striking Let's get him group. in here. Yeah, I know. I I don't know when he's and he's coming on the weekend for sure. Okay, cool. But yeah, uh, yeah if, I don't know if he stays during the week because he's actually the head manager for Adrenaline. Okay, cool. Yeah, so he has to be there at the at the front office there. Yeah, well, he he was. Uh, That's it. He's really impressive. Yeah. Well, if you want to come on Saturday, actually, well, I'm going to be here for uh, the uh, the St. Petersburg card. Oh man, we'll, yeah, see. We'll, see. we'll see. We'll see. We'll try. Yeah. Get some get some light work in here before he goes to your gym. There you go. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, a very impressive win for him against Yoni Sherbatov. Sherbatov is a real deal. Beating one of like the very few good Jewish athletes that we have in in uh, combat sports, unfortunately. <laughs> but you know, there you go. <laughs> but it was crazy because he was the underdog. He Sherbatov yeah. had all of his fans, and like Malcolm was just a stud, man. And Sherbatov had him hurt Doug at the B. beginning of the round. Yeah, body kick and just came aggressive with his striking. So did Yoni get injured on the takedown? That's what I was. A little ask bit. It about. looked like his knee was hurt. Yeah, um, I wasn't sure if his knee or his ribs. I was trying to figure. Yeah, it out. I think it was his knee. He said he felt it. Um, kind of go, but Malcolm just looks so nasty. His jiu-jitsu is too good. Yeah, so, His so, jiu-jitsu so is too good, man. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, Yoni's striking was incredible, and that's one of the reasons Malcolm and I started working together, so we were able to shut that down. I mean, it just shows that there's so much more work to do. Even though you're you know, you're the champ, you still got to get back to the work. And so we're going to see now. I think he's in talks with uh, UFC where he has to go to 135 or maybe 1FC. Mm-hmm. So big things for Malcolm Gordon. Yeah, good for him. Yeah, That's awesome. Um what else do we uh, do we have to talk about from that card? Are there any other results? I mean, there, there was Eric Anders versus Khalil Roundtree. I know you wanted to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, no, I just, I loved the Muay Thai. I thought it was such a cool, 
you know, thing to see. Someone tried to bring in traditional Muay Thai stance, style, leg kicking. I'm telling you, leg kicks can be so damn effective. If you really stick to it, you really train it, you really believe in it. I mean, it set up his punches really well. He dropped Anders, I think, three to four times with a, with a nice straight punch. So, I mean, it opened up his punches. What drove me nuts, though, is not going to the outside leg kick. That was my big point. He attacked the inside so much. You know, Anders was expecting the inside. He threw, like, two or three outside low kicks, and they did such good damage. But then right back to the inside, inside. That's why they need bazooka kickboxing in their lives. <laughs> All but, right. I mean, I, lo- I love that he's going he's to Thailand. In Thailand. I know. I love that he's going to Thailand. I love that his, you know, his, his bringing that Muay Thai style and learning. I just hope, um, I think the, the biggest critique is how is the wrestling and the jiu-jitsu programs out there. But I think he's with Tiger Muay Thai, which has a, a phenomenal team, a bunch of um, athletes and coaches from all over the world. So I'm sure he'll be fine. Yeah, he's out in Phuket where a lot of the best yeah. fighters are yeah. train out there. So uh, that was... That was a really good fight, and I thought he looked phenomenal. And I don't know what Eric Anders is going to do from here. Like, Eric Anders has, was a, a massive prospect about a year ago, and now he's just things have gone off the rails for him a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I just think he's got to stay at 185. 205 is a little too big for him. But it's a bad cut for him at 185. Like, he walks yeah, around. Yeah, like but I mean, like, but when you see him at 205, it's just like, man, I, I don't feel really bad for these guys. Cut out a little earlier, guys. Come on. Like, I mean, if you're in an eight week camp, start cutting eight weeks out. If you're coming in and you're still looking like you don't even have a six-pack coming in two weeks, a week out before you fight, you have to start building properly. Like, I mean, if if you're going to move up in weight, up your strength and conditioning. You got to put on muscle. If you know you're cutting down a weight class, cut your weight earlier. I used to, I would walk around 195 pounds. I'd fight at 170, but my weight cut started eight to ten weeks out. Every time I started that, I didn't wait to the last minute. I mean... You have to do your homework, and I think someone like Gasolum should try a 170 fight. Yeah, I, mean, he, I mean, that's where he used to fight, right? Was I would like to see him go back again. He likes again. food too much, he says. Eh, come on. You also like money. You also like world titles. You have the rest of I your life like to eat. I actually like him better at 185, man. No, I, think, I, don't I, think, know. I don't I think know. he's better. He's stronger. He's knocking guys down. Guys are big, man. Like I'm, I'm a, a, a welterweight now walking as a, a, a middleweight. So I'm kind of like, yeah, I would fight as a middleweight now, but I was a welterweight. I look at the size you're of middleweight. Than, you're taller than Kevin I know, too, but that's what I'm what, trying 5'11"? to say. Uh, 5'11", yeah. yeah. But my point is, I'm looking at middleweights, and they're humongous, and I'm bigger than Gaslam. Mm-hmm. I look at guys like even in kickboxing, like Rob Thomas, who I trained. Rob's walking around 215. Six foot two, six foot three, they're huge. I look at um, other guys in kickboxing, because that's the ones I get to work with. They're massive. I mean, look at the champ. Alex Pereira's massive. You know, Yusri Bulgari, massive. They're huge. They're tall. They're big. I was like, you want to use that advantage. I mean, I think he could really do well at 170. I, know, where... I, I, I like Kelvin at 185, man. I think that that's where he should stay. All right. I, I think that he's just been so much more successful there. And he's like the matchups are just better for him also at 185, I find. Well, if he thinks he can actually win a title at 185, I mean, then stay. I think he can, man. I honestly, like, I have a lot of faith in Kelvin. I think that Kelvin is... Uh, like again, a top three guy in that division. Yeah, no, he showed it. So we'll see. He definitely showed yeah. it. I mean, we'll see. Top three. I mean, if it's him, Adesanya, and Whitaker, those are three. Yeah. So I don't know, but a lot of that division is getting older too. And, and I mean, and I guess Gaston's the... twenty-seven, right? You're going to see Romero and and Jacare walk away They're soon. And Weidman's getting older, and he's getting injured all the time. Rockhold's left. Thiago Santos is left. Yeah, and um, I guess I mean the the welterweight division is heating up too. So, I mean, yeah. I think it'll be a tough fight for uh, for him to fight guys like the Woodleys, the, the Colbys, yeah. the Oozmans. 
So, yeah, I know. I mean, yeah, I can see it. But I just looking at his body frame, his body type, the size oh, of the he, guys he he's the fighting. 170. I just think that like his skill just, set matches up well at, one, at 185 against a lot of those guys. Yeah. I don't know. I saw him weighing in. I was like, ah, man. Yeah, it's a lot of dead weight. A lot of dead weight. The way you're looking up almost fr- how many inch difference between him and Adesanya? Well, it's 5'9 and 6'4, right? 5'6 so inches, about, yeah, you know? About 7 inches, 6, 7 inches, yeah. Like, it looked just a big, big difference, you know? But in I don't there, know. He but, did well. I mean, I, I'm not well, saying right? not. He did phenomenal. Yeah. It's not like he was outclassed at by any means. One thing I wanted to ask you about is this weekend, the main event, um, Alistair Overeem against uh, Alexei Olenek. They had a stare down. I think it was today. Did you see the video of this? Yes. Where they're shaking Friendly, hands, they're shaking. Happy. Yeah, they're Have friends. Have you ever had to fight a friend? No. Never. Okay. No. I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not that kind of person. I don't, I don't, I, I don't think I could. Well, these guys don't train together or anything, but they have. But they have in the, in the past. past. They said they've called each other to train mm-hmm. a few times, and even if I've trained with someone and I'm friendly, I, I don't like it. Okay, I'm. Um, I like to put myself in a mindset where I don't want to be too friendly. I mean, I wouldn't even say the most I would do to my opponent before would give them like a high, maybe a little quick handshake, but there was no conversations. I don't want to talk to you. I don't care about anything else. I kind of want to have a little tension with you because, man, I'm Bazooka Joe, man. I want to blast you out as fast as possible. I mean, and to me, it's just ah, there's so many people to fight. I don't want to have to fight. I mean, in their situation, there's hundreds of thousands of dollars on the line. You're saving a card. I get why you would, but I wouldn't feel great doing it. Mm-hmm. Even okay. me as a coach now, like I don't even want to put my guys against other guys. Like, the, like uh, for example, uh, my M- pro MMA fighter, Matt Special, is uh, fighting for BTC. And he got matched up with uh, a kid who trains with uh, one of my friends, Matt Embry. And I was like, nah, right away we're like, no. There's so many people to fight. Why do our guys have to fight each other? So even with that relationship, a lot of times we don't want to. But again, hundreds of thousands of dollars aren't on the line. So, I mean, money talks a lot of times, but that's not for me. Yeah. it's uh, It was certainly an interesting dynamic to see that. See that they're, I mean, these guys have had, I think, almost 100 fights each. Like They've, they've been around. Yeah. So yeah like, this yeah. is nothing new to them as just getting in there against somebody. I'm sure it's somebody that they've respected or, or liked in the past. Yeah, but still, like, but I mean, like, you've got to think that other. that killer instinct, sometimes you're on top, you're dropping elbows, you know, you split your buddy's face open. Like, are you con- continuing to just drop elbows and you want to kill the guy or do you hold up a little bit that kind of holds things back? Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Certainly uh, an interesting one. This this card for us to have to make picks on, like yeah, I don't. There are so many people on this card that are just new, like yeah, with with Russian names that we and I've can been probably trying to do as much research butcher. as I can, but I don't know, man. I mean, we should, we're gonna have to make picks. It's the way it's got to be. I guess <laughs> let's do it. All right. So, uh, well, first off, I'm almost at, I'm almost out of money here. I'm I'm gonna yeah. go bankrupt. Did you lost you lost both your I lost picks? Both right? Mine. You won one. I won with Adesanya. You won your chalky pick, but you lost on Millinder. Uh, yeah. And I lost with Jalen Turner and Gastelum. So you have sixty more dollars than me. Dang. Yeah. So uh, do you have uh do you want to make your pick or do you want me to go ahead? Um I honestly like I was looking uh, one off the bat, I like um I like Overeem. I like Overeem for sure. I, I think with this card I might stay really cautious. So I'm gonna go with uh <sighs> let's do a, a little parlay and I'm gonna do Overeem and uh Shevchenko. Okay, so Shevchenko minus 345, Overeem uh, minus 260. Yeah, it's going to be a little oh, yeah. safe bet. I'll have to do some math on that one and see what that is. Let's, let's take a look and see what that uh, 
ends up being if you put those two together. So you've got Overeem. Overeem and, and uh, Shevchenko. I'm going to play it safe. Okay. Probably... Disrespecting our guest, but that's fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> minus 127 for those two. So, yeah, it's not bad. It's like almost just a little bit more than even money. But uh, I, I heard Mahashev's, you know, big name, good prospect. Makhachev's great, but the guy he's fighting is actually an underrated guy, and I yeah. think at plus 260, that's a stay away. It's a tough, I know. Um, yeah, I was looking at some chalk also, but uh, but I, like Alexei Olenek at that price is kind of appealing to me. I think that he's he's been a really good fighter. Um, the the thing that takes that drives me away from it is that like the striking side. Curtis of Blades completely neutralized Alexei Olenek, and Overeem's training with Blades. So that kind of thing give, is a red flag to me because I feel like Overeem will have a good strategy to beat this guy. Yeah, yeah. That being said, I think Olenek has decent power. Um, I think that if it gets into too much of a, of a striking match, that Olenek can can rock Overeem, take him down, and if it gets to the ground, he's going to stop. Oh, him. for sure. But it's uh, definitely possible. So I don't know about that one. Um, I'm going to go with a, a newcomer uh, that I've been hearing a lot of good things about, but I haven't watched a ton of tape on it. That's uh, Rafael Fiziev, who's on the very first fight on the card. He's a minus 120. I'm just going to go with him. I'm going to take a flyer on a guy that I've heard a lot of really good things about. And it's uh, even money, no? Minus, Minus 120? And, and Mustafayev has been in the UFC for a while, and has been. He, I think he's had a three-year layoff. So let's roll the dice. Hey, go for it. I'll take him at that. I, the other guy I was looking at was Olenek, but I'm a little bit, like, I don't know. I'm a little yeah. bit scared off of that one for whatever reason. I know so over him, so I'm giving him some love, too. Yeah. All right. Cool. So that's, uh, that's that for uh, this upcoming card. I don't know if we want to do any sort of preview, but because, again, a lot of these are newcomers, yeah. and uh, like I've heard good things about Movsar uh, Evloev, who's another good prospect, but the guy that he's against looks really good, too, the guy from Korea. Uh, so give me, give me one, since you know these guys a little bit more than me, one that I should watch out for. Like one particular one matchup? One particular matchup that you would say, alright, I, I, I predict this one to possibly be fight of the night. Um, Is there anything well, that stands out? Uh, Michael Olajecik against uh, Gadzimurad Antigolov. Gadzimurad Antigolov. I'm so bad with these names. I'm sorry. I'm butchering oh, them. Uh, that, that looks like a good one. Like uh, Olajecik has looked really good um, so far. Um, and that's I think the that second one, fight of yeah, the night. Yeah, that one could be good. Um, like I think all these fights look really good on paper. And from from what I've seen from a lot of these prospects, like even that Makachev versus Tsarukian uh, uh, fight looks really good. Tsarukian looks like like a, the real deal, and he's minus two sixty. Uh, so yeah. that looks like a good one too. Tybura doesn't seem to be getting much love. Yeah, Tybura, that's a good line actually as well. That was the other guy I was looking at was Marcin Tybura against uh, Abdurakimov. But Abdurakimov looked good in his last outing, so I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Once I hear a, an OV at the end of the, their last names, I'm you a little nervous, yeah. you know? He's I'm like, worried. ah, they're, yeah. they're Sambo wrestling it's backgrounds. Yeah. It's in Russia. I was like, I want to stay away from anything that ends in an OV. Yeah, I don't blame you. And they look scary. They've been Sambo training from since they were yeah, like born in, diapers, in yeah. state master yeah, programs. Like, 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 Shamil Abdurakimov is like, I think he was a master of sport in Sambo. Yeah, they are. And I mean, right? I know so. that's a big deal to in, in, in Russia when they get the honors of master of sport. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm terrified of these Russian names. So, I'm trying to stay away from stay as away. many of those. You see a V at the end, just avoid. Yeah, done. Uh, <laughs> avoid yeah. it. You got Sergei, Sergei Pavlovich is another uh, Russian name. So, you got that too. Uh, I don't know. Alexander Yakovlev has never been super impressive to me, and he's against a guy named Alex Da Silva, who I've never heard of. So I've got to like look into. Yeah, and that's surprising. And, and there are a lot of undefeated fighters on this card, but the undefeated fighters this year haven't. They're sub five hundred in the UFC so far. Yeah, yeah. 
Adesanya was the only undefeated fighter to win. The problem is a lot of these guys have padded records to get to the UFC. Not in this this card, though. There's only one guy that I think I saw that had, I think it was Alan Amadovsky. There was one one fighter that had a a, a pretty padded record. But all these other undefeated guys, like I think was uh, Evloev, I don't know if he was undefeated. There's somebody on this card that was undefeated, and I looked at his record, and I'm like, wow, he's beaten some good guys. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a light heavyweight because he had beaten like Fabio Maldonado. It's it's still crazy to me to see in MMA like we forget how new the sport is, man. Like when you saw Kevin Gaslam fight, I think he only has less than fifteen fights. Gaslam, mm-hmm. I don't remember what Gaslam. I think he was like eight and three. Gaslam, am I correct on that? His record? It's, yeah, it's it's. I think he was like only three and zero or something when he won the Ultimate Fighter. Yeah. But yeah. So when you watch guys who have kickboxed. And you see their record, like if you watch a, a, a kickboxing world title, guys have a hundred professional mm-hmm. fights, and that's what's crazy when you see the Alistair Overeem, um, Olienic. They got yeah. over hundreds of fights. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because they were old school striking kind of guys. So they've just been around forever too. But um, so if you look at like a guy, I think the guy I was looking at was uh, Ivan Ivan Stirkov, who's on short notice is facing Devin Clark. I looked at his record, and he's undefeated, and, the, and who he's beaten. He's beaten, like, good guys. I think his last two wins were Tiago Silva and Fabio Maldonado. Like, those are two And he doesn't even have a names. profile picture yeah. on the UFC. Yeah, he's a new signee, right? That's it. So, I don't know. This is one of those ones where I'm just going to watch and learn. Yeah. That's what I like about these cards. Um, and I think they always end up being entertaining, the ones that are overseas. Oh, yeah. And you can just learn about, like, these new These Russian prospects. fighters, yeah. man, I'm telling you. I think they're the, the sleepers that we're going to see. I mean, well, they're people the, have been saying the prospect, that for a while, right? but really the only one that's like, how many Russian champions have there been in the UFC? There's been Khabib. Um, Are we, am I missing anybody? That's it, maybe. Like in recent years, I know Arlovsky is from Belarus, but like I'm talking about in recent years, like everybody thought that all these guys were going to end up being really the big, big stars, and like I think Khabib is really the only one that's really shined. The through. other one, uh, Megoped Sharapov. Yeah, he, he, hasn't won, he hasn't won a championship No, but I yet. mean, he's got potential. Yeah, he's yeah. probably the next biggest name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's on the horizon right now. But yeah, so uh, like a lot of them, the problem is that they take a lot of these these fighters and make them fight in these European cards, and then like they, they don't have, have them yeah. fight once or twice a year, and they don't get the chance to really move up quickly. It's tough. I mean, there's a lot of names in the UFC, and a lot of people, I think the, the issue is the UFC has so many fights now, it's hard to, to build fighters now. You know, it's so hard for them to kind of put a little countdown on learning some of these names. So they end up just, it's really hard, man, to, to, to get to know fighters these days with fights happening every weekend. I think they need a separate league. Like, I think they need to, I was thinking about this earlier in the week. Like, you know how they used to have Strike Force Challengers? Mm-hmm. Like, I would love to see them have, like, kind of mini tournaments that are going on throughout the year where yeah. you take some of the, like, the lower-level prospects and do almost what the PFL is doing, but do it in your own. It's, it's funny it you said m- that. Middle of the week. It's funny you said they're that. They're opening I've said their new the facility soon. Like, they're going to be able to do it as a new production thing. facility. So I want them to do that know. with glory. I think it's great. I think it, it's important to do that. I think right now the way um, the UFC kickboxing, I think we need to follow a little bit of what Bellator and One One FC are doing. Have multi night tournaments. I think it's fun. It builds storylines automatically. It doesn't waste all your good fights on one night because if it's like a four or eight man tournament, and it's automatic. Like the PFL's format is amazing. Yeah. I think it, it's really good. It creates hype throughout the whole year. Storylines yeah, are standings. automatically built yeah. in. You know where you go. It's like okay, yeah. three fights away. Yeah, like you need, you need to win. I love the playoffs. It. Yeah, I I love I like that, that style. And I think, I think the that's framework what's kept is them fun. Successful. 
But I, I don't think it's a bad thing to create a, a UFC contender that but way. I think we're gonna see it. I think we're gonna see it. Like I, Dana White this week said, like wait till you guys see what we have planned for in July. Yeah. Like, it's gonna be the what, future. What, of what's fighting. your what, what's your thoughts on it? What could it be? Well, I know that they're building this production facility. That they're going to be able to basically flip a switch and they're on, like they're on Fight Pass or whatever. That's kind of what they want to do with like their Contender Series. Would move to this new facility. Well, it already is. Like okay. the Contender Series and the Ultimate Fighter are going to take place at this new facility. But the I think that the idea is like if you have people sitting around that are like, I want more fights. Like you just put on, you can put on events middle of the week and just say, okay, we're going to have six UFC fights on Fight Pass this week. It'll be official fights sanctioned by whatever the Las Vegas, uh, sorry, the Nevada State Athletic Commission. And you can just keep building fighters that way. And I'm just I'm just trying to look for a name here, but uh, a young Canadian kid just got signed to the Contender Series. Aaron Jeffries, I think. Oh his yeah, name I is. heard I heard about this. Yeah, so he just got signed, which is phenomenal to see. Yeah, and we've got another. Um, um, Aaron Jeffrey, yeah. So he got, just he's going to be on the Contender Series. That's good. And we've got another fighter that just got signed to, to fight in Ottawa. So uh, I think it's Co- Cody Smith. I don't know. I'll have to go and look. But uh, he just got signed to uh, face uh, Mitch Gagnon. Gagnon's opponent, uh, Brian Kelleher, pulled out. Okay, good. Yeah. News to me. Yeah. Nice. Cole nice. Smith. Cole Smith. I think. What's, how, uh, what's no, his I thing? I hope I'm right on that. Because Mitch, Mitch is looking sharp, man, I've from, what some, I've been, uh, from what I've been seeing. Yeah, I've got to watch a little bit of tape on him. I know James Lynch tells me he's, he's if I recall. He's Canadian kid? Or yeah, Canadian kid. Oh, yeah. Mitch, Mitch uh, his wrestling, Let's his background see. should be the one to I do I don't it. want to get the guy's name wrong, so I'm going to just double check. I think it's Cole Smith, but I'm going to... Uh, Topology UFC Ottawa. Here it is. I just want to double check and want to make sure I get the kid, the guy's name right. Cole Smith. Yeah. So he's six and zero. How old is he? Uh, Thirty. So he's been around, but he's a five eleven bantamweight, very big bantamweight, uh, similar to what we saw from Brandon Davis this past weekend. Um, and yeah, he's he's beaten good guys, five and one, three and two, two and zero, oh, like beating good Canadian guys. He was, I think, he was the champion in the BFL. BFL? What's BFL? Never heard of it. Uh, Battle Battlefield Fight League. I think they're based out of. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I've seen some because I think we're trying to get our fighter on that one yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. They're like a regional Canadian. Uh, but league it's out, out of BC. Buffalo. Is BC? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I don't think. I think their cards are out of BC, for the most part. Yeah, they're all out of BC. So he's, um, yeah, he's wrestling or striker based. Well, he's. Uh, What's her? What are three his? of his wins are by. Uh, submission. He's got one armbar, two RNCs, and then he's got uh, two by strikes. So, and what's and his overall in, record against Thailand before? He's six and zero. Oh. Six and zero. Oh. Yeah. All right. So Let's we'll go, see what Mitch. happens. Has Mitch Gagnon called you at all? Or are you going to get in any work with him or no? No. 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 Now he's staying out in Sudbury, cool. and, and mixes in with Parabellum when he's in town. Cool. I mean, I think he's he's just going to content with his crap, man. Sharp wrestler, good power puncher. You know, aggressive, good, good at controlling the pace of the fight. Will take you down and damage you. But I think he plays his game and he does well. He's got a two, uh, two year layoff, so uh, we'll see how he bounces back from that. He lost to Matthew Lopez in uh, UFC two hundred five, two sorry, two hundred six in Toronto. And, and the odds for Ottawa just came out too, right? Yeah, they did. Yeah. So uh, we'll uh, we'll make some picks on that front. I'm going to be down there. I'm looking forward to it. I haven't been to Ottawa for a prolonged period of time. It's coming up, eh? Yeah, it's in two when, weeks when, when, like May fourth. I was like, oh, that's that's a long yeah. time. And then now, the more I and think you look about at the calendar, it, it's like wow, it's, like, it's the middle of April. Yeah, and my birthday's May third. So it's yeah, a, there you go. Yeah, you should go for your Friday. birthday. Enjoy. I know. I'm uh one yeah I don't know if I'm going anywhere I should go down to Ottawa yeah why not you can hang out with me there you go gonna have you have you break down the fights afterwards but uh, how are we doing here yeah so Cole Smith's plus one fifteen against uh, Gagnon. Gagnon's really? minus one forty five uh, okay 
And and suddenly the line on Arjun Buller flipped. Arjun Buller was an underdog against uh, Juan Adams, and that's flipped. Yeah. So these lines are starting to get closer together. Andrew Sanchez is favored over uh, Mark Andre uh, Berrio it's now. So stacked. It's to... such a stacked card, especially if you being from the Canadian side. Man, that's a that's a fun card. Like if you go down the name of the Canadian fighters, I love it. Yeah, there's ten uh, Canadian fighters. Out I'm of really into fighters. it. Um, is Hakeem on it? No, put, no, for whatever reason, Hakeem's not on it. I don't know if he's uh, if he's got an injury or something. Because or... I saw him, uh, I follow him on Instagram. He was looking sharp on the bag when I was watching him. Yeah. So well, I thought there's maybe there's going to be another be Canadian on. event. I think probably in July or August, if I had to guess. So okay. that's coming up soon, and I think we're going to see a lot of people. Eamon's is Toronto back getting on this any one? love? Yeah, I saw Eamon in uh, Montreal. I saw him in quick pass, and we got to say what's up. Nice. Yeah. He was at the event? Yeah, yeah. They had, uh, I think, one or two TriStar guys fighting. So Faraz was there. Eamon was there. Cool. So um, we're going to have – you you mentioned Toronto. So the deal with Toronto is right now there are – there's going to be a Canadian pay-per-view at some point. Okay. Because they Um, always do one a year, right? Yeah, they do one a year. So let's go month by month. July's International Fight Week. They just added a second pay-per-view to the end of July, and I think that's where the Canadian pay-per-view is going to be. It's either going to be there or it's going to be the beginning of August, or middle of August, rather. Um, September looks like it's now going to be Australia. Dana White mentioned that. Or Abu Dhabi's been in the mix, too. Yeah, that's uh, where they're saying Khabib's return, yeah. But when you look at that, you've also got to look at October is almost always Vegas because they've got four events earmarked per year uh, to take place in Vegas. December is going to be Vegas, and November is going to be MSG. So now you've got the rest of that year ma- mapped out in terms of pay-per-views. So Khabib, if you're going to bring him back, um, if you're actually going to do an event in Abu Dhabi, it'll probably end up being in August or September. Um, if you're going to do Australia, and Dana White's saying September for that. So Canada is going to be either July or August. If it's in July, I think the pay-per-view date is July 27th. And Vancouver is where they keep saying, I keep hearing Vancouver, Vancouver, but... On July 27th, the Backstreet Boys are playing in Vancouver. Okay. So if it's in July, my guess is that it would either take place in Toronto or possibly Edmonton. Um, and again, these are just guesses. Mm-hmm. Right? But uh, Toronto, I think... Edmonton seems to be a good market. Edmonton is a very good market, and that yeah. new arena is really nice. Yeah, I've heard. Um, and apparently the UFC really enjoyed working with uh, the folks who run that arena. Um, but uh, I would think that if they're going to do it in July, it'll be in Toronto. We'll see. But um, and then if it's in August, then Vancouver, I would imagine, is the likely destination. So we'll see how well, how that shakes out. But uh, something to look forward to if you're in Toronto, a potential pay per view in July. Yeah. It was cool because um, even this weekend at the TKO, I was cornering with Mark Hominick, and I kept asking him about his fight with Aldo in Toronto. It's like that to me just was amazing. Oh, for sure. Was like, that was that at 129? Was that in the, the stadium? That was at the. I guess yeah, it was at the. It was at the Rogers Center there. So that one was, was Rogers Bank, Center. Whatever, yeah. Yeah, right. The, that was the co-main event at yeah, Rogers and I, Center. And what was the attendance at that one? It was uh, 55,000. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Can you so, imagine fighting in front of that many people? To did fight you, did Aldo? You ever, did you ever in kickboxing fight in front of that many people? I think my biggest would have been Japan or Turkey. Maybe... But it wouldn't have 15, been 16,000. Oh, okay. so no. like old okay. school Japan used to get it, but yeah. not, uh, not new school kickboxing. Mm-hmm. Old school kickboxing, yeah, that was every, every you know, K1 fight. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, that must have been a, quite the rush for him, especially in that fifth round when he's got that big the hematoma, big hematoma and, he, and he's going yeah. after Aldo. Yeah, yeah. That was, the I think, the pinnacle for Toronto. That's when we had the, the largest attendance. Do we still in, have in the largest? America, yeah, still the largest in North America. They're saying um, Australia might be the all-time, right? Yeah, well, it already is the all-time, all-time and it might break really? that record. Hey. Yeah, because home versus Rousey at Etihad Stadium had like 67 or 70,000, some big number Jeez. like that. 
Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. When Holm ended up being, imagine being Holly Holm when you land that head kick, how loud it would yeah. have been there. Dang. Amazing. Yeah. I posted a thing about Rousey on Twitter and people were, uh, had a kind of a mixed reaction to it. I was watching, uh, the UFC has the 25 years, you know, they did the 25 years last year and they had a, a series of shorts that they did. Um, let me pull up this quote just so I can make sure I, uh, I get it right. So it w- this was her quote. They, they asked her about her legacy. They played like this really dramatic music. They're like, what do, you, what do you think your legacy is? And Rhonda's answer was, and I'd love to hear your take on this. <laughs> I don't know if you guys even deserve to hear it, to be honest, because how I feel about myself and my own legacy is something precious to me. So you don't get to hear it. You just get to have your own opinion of my legacy. Hey. Your thoughts. Yeah, it's personal, I guess. <laughs> I get, I don't know. I don't think it's a big deal to share what your your legacy or your goals or your future is, but it's a little extra. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, people, Steph, pe- Steph there was, a, a, there was a very mixed reaction. Yeah. I'd say it was probably about like 80% pretty anti-Ronda and 20% being like, well, yeah, I mean, she's got a point. It is, it yeah. is personal, but yeah, I don't know what, why you would have to withhold yeah. that information. Now, I, I don't think we discussed, but um, TJ Dillashaw. Yes, we did we, not discuss yeah. TJ Dillashaw. What are your so. uh, initial thoughts and the sincerity of his apology? My initial thoughts is that you should be Barry Horowitz patting yourself on the back. Do you remember Barry Horowitz? The uh, old? Did you watch WWF when you were growing up? A little bit, but he I was would... like this jobber, and his thing was he used to pat himself on the back like this when okay. he did a good job. Yeah. You should be patting yourself on the back because you said basically that him giving up the belt so yeah. oh, seamlessly yeah. was like basically Absolutely. an admission of guilt. And then Michael Bisping said the same thing uh, like about a week later. Yeah. But that's uh, seemingly is what it is. I mean, he did the, those videos. Did you watch the v- videos that Dillashaw yeah, posted? I did. Yeah, I did. And I got to talk to Jeff Nowitzki when I was uh, down there about the whole situation, about EPO testing and uh, things of that nature, which I thought was interesting. But, yeah, I mean, he did it. <laughs> he, yeah, got, yeah. he got a two-year suspension. I think he deserves a two-year suspension. Is two years the right amount? Well, that's that's what it's supposed to be yeah. for a performance enhancing. Because, I mean, for defense. him, it's like, hey, you know, I'm going to get both shoulders reconstructed. Yeah. Well, do, you, Heal you up all Dominic my injuries. Cruz, I guess, on, uh, yeah, it did. Show. And I mean, he was really, you know, it was like, hey, two years isn't that bad. He was kind of like, he'd just get better. He'll recover his old injuries, come back a bigger, better, you know, Dillashaw. What do you know about EPO? Not much. I was asking around. Um, I was asking my manager about it, but I don't know much about it. I mean, I, I, I have an idea of what it is. And, you know, you get more red blood cells. With more red blood cells, you can carry more oxygen, which will help your cardiovascular. I heard there's not much of an effect on any anabolic growth or anything. But well, apparently, he like... He was going into flyweight, right? Yeah. So, I mean, apparently, it's like... It's like uh, the analogy I got is like, I can give it to you today. Tomorrow, you run a marathon. I was like, really? He's like, that much of a difference? He's like, well, yeah. Wow. Okay. Like, All right. So it's just an endurance. It's which, more which for endurance. End up being like more than like anabolic, right? Yeah. They're not going to get any muscle growth, but the the cardiovascular benefits are phenomenal. Like so, you so get more oxygen to your muscles, you know, so you fatigue less, less lactic acid. Now, do you think that crazy? Well, this is the the thing that also bothered me about this is uh, Cody Garbrandt came out and said um, a while back he he accused him on Twitter of using EPO. This yeah, was like years yeah. ago or whatever, b- before their first fight, I think. And he taught them how to use it or something. Well, that was a, a press conference thing. He okay. said, yeah, you taught all of us how to use it at Alpha Male, which, which isn't a good look. But yeah. um, then uh, Novitsky told me that they went back and tested uh, – sorry, they went back. he went back to USADA, and USADA said that they tested TJ4EPO for those two 
uh, fights against and Cody, and they were negative. Yeah. And then everybody's like, everybody on my Twitter feed is like, hey, Cody, you know, look at that, talking. you know, you're t- talking smack to Cody. This thing has a six-hour half-life. Is that what it is? Yeah, six it's hours? a six-hour yeah, half-life. So if they did test him for EPO, there's a very good chance that he could have used Okay, let me walk that back. There's a chance that he could have used it. And it just like it. They didn't test him within six hours, and it was out of his system. But so I'm hearing it could stay that, for years. What EPO? Yeah, like you can the the, heard, ben, the the effects of it well, can be. When I asked Jeff Nowitzki about it, I said EPO has a very short half life. Let's say you saw it tested somebody, and they apply they took the EPO right after you saw it left. There would be a pretty good chance that they're not going to get caught if they came back whatever even two days later. Yeah. And he kind of acknowledged that, and that said that. You, you saw it starting to come back right away to some things and starting to kind of be unpredictable uh, in that manner. But, um, like, I just thought that people were being a little bit premature to tell Cody that, he, you know, that Dillashaw yeah. wasn't – he could have been. So Dillashaw, if it's a six hours, so he would have, would have had to have taken it. But when did that test come out uh, that he tested for EPO? The post? Was the one, it the, the post with, test? With Cejudo? Yes. Was yeah, it the it was post the, No, it was the pre. It was the pre that got Yeah, I think so. Okay. I think it was the pre. I think it was the – 18th was the date that of the test that and, and the fight was the 19th. But if it's six, yeah, I mean, yeah, he would have just taken it. He would have had to take it just before the fight too, if he wanted the benefits, I guess. Or does it stay in your system? I guess the benefits would still stay. Like yeah, you know I don't know, the, I don't know how. Do it those works. red, do the extra red blood cells stay in your system Probably, for yeah. an extra couple? Yeah, I don't so, know. I don't know, but. I just thought that people were being a little bit hard with Cody when, when by saying, oh, he wasn't using anything. He beat you clean. It's like, well, again, T.J. Dillashaw has acknowledged using it. He didn't say this was a one-time indiscretion or anything like that. He just said he acknowledged using it. If Cody Garbrandt is accusing him of using that specific drug, which he has now admitted to using, you got to think yeah. that there's, where there's smoke, there's fire there. Yeah, and, and I wonder if how many other fighters are doing it. I mean, well, if it's a six-hour half-life, again, that's why I asked Novitsky, like if how if, often if testing it, it is an issue. But not not only that, like if you Sada came to you, tested you, and the moment they left your house, you whatever injected EPO, and they didn't come back for two days, like they wouldn't catch you. Yeah. So there's a strategic way that people could be trying to like skirt these tests, right? And I mean, and I know a lot of people are like, let's go back and check other samples and and that kind of nonsense. But if they're not testing for it and you had it in your system at that time. What could you really do? Well, no, they can penalize them again. It would be you another. Know? That's what Jeff. Novitsky Even though told they're me. going back two yeah. years, three Jeff years Novitsky ago, he said that if they went and looked at old samples they had of Dillashaw, and they tested them for EPO and it came up positive, it would be a, a second uh, offense. So if they tested, if they found it twice more, let's say in two different tests, they found it twice more, that would be a lifetime ban. Like he, they would Damn. ban him for life from the sport. Dang. Yeah, I know, right? These things are getting messing, serious, I'm, man. I'm messing around, things I guess. are getting serious, and I mean. I got to say, before you saw it, man, I guarantee you uh, a crazy amount were doing the, the testosterone at least, you know. Well, a lot of them had uh, <laughs> exemptions for it to use it legally, right? Yeah, like it TRT. was legal at one point, yeah. and then, I'll, I don't know, man, it's, 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 it's gone crazy now. But it's good, I think. Uh, it's, it's great. Like I think I, it's I you're think getting a nice, clean, safe sport. I'm sure there's, I a mean, lot of we're not say, experts oh, should, in it. Should, they should get rid of it. They, should, they say, oh, there's no need for the drug testing. It's like, well... I get that you want these fights to be exciting or whatever, but you're also messing with people's body chemistry if they're yeah. like if they're just going to be allowed to take whatever they want. Oh, then it just gets ridiculous. Yeah, but I mean, like the NFL. I know they test in the NFL, but do they really test in the NFL? You know what I mean? Like apparently, it's kind of like an IQ test. Exactly. That's how old fighting was. Now, so I mean, with Usada, it's like you like never in know the when NFL. Like I ask a lot of like people who play at the highest level, like they're like you can't. 
perform in the NFL without it almost. You almost need it to get there, to be able to manage the size, the eating, the recovery, a full season. That's a crazy sport. I mean, you need it to almost get there. Like, you can't do it without it. I mean, I've heard baseball, the amount of players in baseball doing it. I mean... It's almost like a lot of them, you need it to get to those high levels. So that's why I'm, I'm kind of glad to see, especially fighting, because fighting, you hurt somebody now, you know? Me being bigger, stronger, more muscular, recover, I'm putting someone else's health in danger. Could you so tell that's if somebody what was on something if you were facing them? Like, did they just hit a little bit harder? You just, you, you don't know. I mean, you could assume. I mean, you can look at someone and be like, yeah, basically like, look at his last fight. Look at this fight. Oh, my God. Like last fight, he had no traps. And now he's got veins and traps coming out through his neck. I'm like, yeah, you got great strength and conditioning. But I don't know about that much. Like that kind of thing. I know people who have fought someone and been like, oh, as soon as I grabbed them, I felt the difference. You know, I was like, maybe they're just strong naturally. There's a genetic. So, I mean, I think a lot of people jump to conclusion. Like, right away, if you told me, is Yorel Romero on steroids? I would tell you 100% yes, based on his look, his size, his age. Yeah. Like, how is he that old? But then if you go back and look at him during Olympic yeah, trials so, I and mean, stuff, he looked massive. You assume a and lot. he was getting Olympic-level drug yeah. testing. Genetics plays a huge factor, I think. But, uh, I mean, someone like Mark Hunt... You know, like to come out and be like, I got CTE damage from you guys because of it. So it, it's an issue. It's definitely an issue. So I don't yeah, know what they got to do. I, I think obviously, clean is the way that I would like to see it. Yeah. I, and uh, again, I just think that if everybody knows that, the, I think that there are people that if it was, let's say you could use whatever you want. I think there are people in the sport that would probably still not use just because they, they felt that it was not the right thing to do. Yeah, oh, 100%. And then there are going to be people that do use, and then that you just don't have a level playing field of the sport. When I was kickboxing, there was no no testing. I got It, was, it would have been the IQ test. So yeah. literally, I could have easily have taken it. But for me, it was always more of like I was in speculation that some of my opponents could be using it. I've seen it in the sport. I know a lot of people in the sport get busted with it. But I was like... For me to know I won a world title with the help of it just wouldn't sit good with me. You know, it, for me, it's I, I was like, I'm a pure, I'm a purist. I want to rely on my martial arts to win a world title. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could see why, like, the Belforts and stuff. I mean, after you win your world titles, after you fight at the highest level for so long, if it was an issue of, like, hey, man, you age, your testosterone goes down, let me give a little testosterone so I can still stay within the legal limits and still be able to perform to support my family. Well, and that's Fabricio, that I understand yeah. it, you know? In the USADA era, I interviewed Fabrizio Verdum, and he said, I, you know, I wish I could use TRT. He goes, he, yeah. goes, it's not, he goes, it's banned, but, like, I just know that it would help me stay younger like, and be healthier yeah. and, and Because the better. big issue is, and I know it, it was happened with James Tony. So a lot of the big research is with multiple head injuries and concussions, your pituitary gland stops producing hormones as much. So automatically you're going to have lower testosterone. And there, I think it was an ESPN on James Tony. You can quickly check on YouTube. But they talk about it uh, where it's like with multiple head injuries, it damages the pituitary gland. So then you chronically have low testosterone. So that can be an issue. So if you're going into a fight with, you know, below average testosterone levels that's kind of not fair because it was based on the sport you know that you're that you're doing so i mean it's it's touchy but as i think if you're in within a limit i don't think it's a bad thing if there was supplementation to get you within yeah to get you within the certain limit of what was legal if they said the legal number is this amount you know and you're so below it because of head trauma I mean, if you need that little bit to play balanced that playing being said, field, performance, a lot of performance-enhancing drugs also affect the amount of testosterone that you produce. Yeah, 
like so if, if you took performance enhancing drugs and now you're not anymore and now your testosterone goes down it's like well yeah then that's the other issue you don't know right so because you naturally stop I, producing I can see it. it both ways right yeah it's interesting yeah it's a, I think it's a topic will forever I mean I think scientists will always find a way around it I mean well, I saw that the, who knows the, we'll never the USADA know the USADA Twitter account today the UFC USADA Twitter account talked about the uh, tap have you heard of tap it's like a, a new uh, blood collection uh technology that they had no. that they, that they're starting to pilot project of. No. So basically it's like this little green box and they just put it on your arm and you push a button and it takes five drops of blood. But but it's a, a way of like transporting the blood. It's a new type of test. It's a dry blood test. Like it'll analyze it for yeah. you kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, so it's like or? a new advanced testing method that all the water accredited labs can test but it avoids any sort of like like uh, the blood getting tainted or anything that could change the blood's makeup in, cool. in transportation. Yeah, so it's a, it's just a new way of collecting blood. And I know Jeff Novisky, I think, was talking about it last year on Rogan's show. But I think they're starting to implement that now. and Get those, the guys to do it every morning, like a little prick diabetes yeah, test almost. That's you know? exactly it. But I mean, they can, Every morning, take it. See where you're at. The, the thing about it is that they can keep these blood samples for 10 years and they'll still be the same blood. Like They, they can yeah. store them a lot easier than storing vials of like actual physical blood. Right, so that for future testing, like let's say this Dillashaw thing happened and they wanted to go back and test those like samples for EPO, there would be a lot less in terms of storage costs. Yeah, so I think that's interesting too. It's just it, it's constantly evolving. Yeah, it'd be scary. Like I mean, if they start going back and really start testing, like who knows what's going to happen? You know, I think that you, they can find a lot of things. Like as as the technology and we start finding out more to test more things. If you go back and you start testing blood, it's going to open up some big doors. Yeah, I mean that's the scary part about it. But I don't think that they're going to go back and start testing unless they have just cause to do just, it. Like, yeah, too much gonna... money. But I mean, I know the cost to test for EPO is really expensive. Yeah, it's a lot. So now, are they going to continue to test as things go forward, or are they only going to do it when people are suspected, or or the people at the top of the sport? I don't know. I, I have, how do I they do it? And, no and with a six-hour, you know, half-life, that's almost like could be a wasted test. You know, mm-hmm. being like I, well, I spent all the... this money, and now after six hours, I can't. Tell. I'm just remembering now. So what, what Jeff Novitsky said was the uh, precursor to testing for EPO was they take all of the different tests that um, these individuals have taken and they come up with kind of like a signature, like a um, – I'm trying to think of what the word is. But like basically they look at their signature in terms of their biological passport. That's what it was called, okay. their biological passport. And they look at that and they can get a, a hint for who might – have been using EPO based on certain traits that are shown in these biological passports that they've okay. gotten from GATS. So that's who they they typically will look at in terms of testing for different because they also need to do for HGH too is a more expensive test. They yeah, which which apparently HGH. in the past was never tested for. So yeah. you can take the HGH and still pass the the urine test after right. the fight. Yeah. So I think that's what a lot of guys were doing. Yeah, and and potentially could still be doing, but yeah. this biological passport Did, they don't they can't test for HCG. Not they HCG, can. HGH. HGH. They can. It's just the more expensive test. So that's why if they look at someone's biological passport and it's changed dramatically, maybe they'll look at it and say, okay, this is somebody Fair. we need to test for this. So that's how they're Keeps doing the a lot of testing. Keeps the cost down, I guess, that way as well. Yeah, because it would cost millions and millions of dollars for them to test Or only do it on the EPO. big championship fights maybe. Yeah. I'm sure they'll, they'll fuck, come up with something. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I learned a lot from that. If you want to watch that interview, tsn.ca slash UFC, you can watch the interview with Jeff Novitsky. It's about 10 minutes long. And he really, yeah, I'm going to go rewatch that now. Yeah, he explains a lot of it um, from the knowledge that he's gotten from speaking to different people in USADA. And I, th- I thought it was uh, you know, pretty eye-opening to hear a lot of – basically, I wanted to ask him all the questions that would challenge him. Like, I want to know yeah. how 
like what you you saw us doing to prevent people from taking a drug that has a six hour half life and just taking it immediately after. Like I'm interested in that. I want to know what is being done to combat that. Is he taking a political role though? Is he kind of like I don't? I need to protect the interest of the UFC. Yeah, as that's w- Novitski's role basically. Yeah, Novitsky's now he's role, protecting a little bit, right? Well, it's not a matter of protecting, but his his role is to kind of like make sure that all the fighters are educated on the program. And he says that he feels like if people get caught, it's not like a stripe of honor for him or a badge of honor. It's basically like he feels like he might have failed in terms of explaining to them what they can, what, what can they can and can't do, and you know. He has to be an advocate for the athlete. So if an athlete ends up getting busted for like a high level of like C, like cannabis or whatever, mm-hmm. or something that he thinks is kind of a trivial, it's not really a performance-enhancing drug, he can advocate to those commissions to like get rid of suspensions and things like okay. that. So that's part of his job as well. And what I mean, uh, bringing up the topic, one of the other, you know, friends and acquaintances with me, um, Anthony Joshua versus Big Baby Miller. Yeah, right. Big Baby Miller. Big Baby Miller just busted. So he lost his huge fight with. You know, Anthony Joshua. So he's calling out tainted supplement. And like, so unless the B sample let's comes hope back. So. I hope so because you know, I was excited for that. And the other cool thing was um, all of my friends are getting these big world title fights. My sparring partner that I use for my world title fight, Steve Rolls, just got to fight with Triple G. He's oh, fighting wow, cool. uh, Golovkin. Yeah, so he's right. fighting him in June. So, yeah, to see my, you know, my old boxing sparring partner get the fight like that, man, I'm so hyped for him. Like, I just messaged him. I was like, shock the world, bro. Do it. I mean, you have an opportunity at the world stage for your life. I'm like, this is your, this is your moment. So mm-hmm. this is crazy to you see. You could have the Rolls Royce of boxing performances. Oh, yeah. There you go. I like Copyright it. Copyright Aaron Bronson. There we Terrible go. joke. Drop the, drop the yeah, mic. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, before we go, Joe, uh, we had uh, Roxanne Modafferi. Uh, join us from St. Petersburg, Russia. It's her first time, I think, ever fighting in Russia. And uh, she's taking on a pretty tough uh, competition. And Antonina Shevchenko, mm-hmm. the older sister of the champion Valentina Shevchenko. And she joins us now on the TSN MMA show. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to introduce this week's guest. I'm joined now by the happy warrior, Roxanne Modafferi. So, Roxanne, first fight outside of the U.S. in about seven years you're in Russia. How are you enjoying the experience? I'm super excited to be here. It was a long trip, but everything's going well, and I'm just so excited. I was reading about a day in your life. You you did an article for Bloody Elbow, and you wake up at 3.30 or 4 a.m. How do you manage to stay up late enough to fight? (laughs) Like in in Las Vegas, for example, when you fought at the Ultimate Fighter finale, um, I guess I think you were out there at around, I was at that event probably around 11 o'clock or midnight. How do you manage to get, you know, stay awake for that amount of time? Yeah, it's a problem. <laughs> um, so under normal circumstances, I would pass out, right? But um, that's why they make caffeine. So I've <laughs> since learned about the joys of caffeine, and I take a nap in the middle of the day, and then I I caffeinate myself. <laughs> so I managed to stay awake for for that. If I'm reading that, I see that you're a real creature of habit. So that must be you must that must be part of a mental battle. You've got your weight cut and your uh, <laughs> your naps and all of those things that are the things that are outside of your your realm of comfort. Yes, that's totally true. And how are you managing right now in Russia? I guess, what's the time difference? It's around 10 hours? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. Well, I am sure. I didn't sleep as much as I wanted to last night. But, um, yeah, I also caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much caffeine is the key. And, um, yeah, when I got, arrived in Russia, you know, it was the afternoon. So I pretty much sucked it up until evening. And then I went to bed. So I kind of went to bed at 9, and I woke up at 3.30 again, which is pretty much my normal schedule. So we'll see. Oh, so that's good. So you kind fine. of adjusted to the, the new time. 
Well, when I traveled to Japan, it's very similar. Like the first few days, I don't know. It's weird, but I have caffeine, so I'm confident that I'll have enough awakeness to beat up my opponent. This might be a weird question, though. With USADA, isn't there something about like a certain level of caffeine that you're allowed, or am I off on that? Yes, there is, and I looked it up because I need to look it up. It's like ridiculous, like 4,000 milligrams or something, and Red Bull only has 200. Okay, so you'd have to have like a case of Jolt Cola. Pretty much. You're the same age as me, so I figured you'd get that reference. (laughs) I actually Jolt. Oh, actually, I'm not sure. I don't drink soda. No, oh, that was an old. It was an old, like hyper caffeinated cola that was. You know, oh. yeah, it's an old, an older thing. Um, so, Antonina Shevchenko it might not be the, the Shevchenko you wanted to face, but um, you have her in Russia. What do you think of her game and how your game can offset that? I know that you focus a lot on grappling, but uh, you've been getting a lot more TKO wins over the last couple of years. Yes, um, I think she's a great opponent. She's, you know, talented, strong. Um, of course, I would like to take it to the ground and do my thing. You know, I have been getting a lot of mounted elbow TKOs. I think I have like five of those. That's pretty cool. Um, so I think if I get it to the ground, my win is likely. Um, I'm not going to say she doesn't have any grappling. You have to be good to get into the UFC. You know, I, I, I know she's not underestimating me either. You know, I do have striking ability although it's super awkward so let's just call it super awkward striking ability (laughs) super awkward super striking ability she's used to she's used to the more technical muay thai i guess uh striking so you'll you'll throw some things at her she hasn't seen in in a while exactly so you know it's the weird ones that you got to look out for because you don't know where stuff's coming from so (laughs) hopefully i'll throw her off I saw that you guys had been exchanging trash talk in about as, as trash talk of a manner as you're used to, uh, which was that you want to get out of there so you can get home for your dad's retirement party. Tell me a bit about that. Exactly. My dad just happened to schedule his retirement party a week after my fight. So, um, yeah, I'm going to be around all these businessmen, and you know, i got to look nice. So I, uh, I would like to finish the fight in the first round so I don't have, like, raccoon eyes and you know, his colleagues looking at me weird. So, but no, I, uh, I also want to try to engage my opponent a little bit to hype the fight, but I'm not such a trash talker. You know, I can't sell myself like Conor McGregor and whoever. So I'm trying to do something and uh, I'm a big dork. So dressing in, as a superhero is kind of the extent of what I can do. So I do what I can do. I think it might've confused her a little bit. <laughs> By her reaction. She got hyper aggressive with her response and you were just kind of being playful. That was cool, though. It was very appropriate. Like, she didn't <laughs> insult me or anything. She just kind of came back. That was, like, the perfect thing. But I, I think I've said something since then. Yeah, oh, that, was, that was about the retirement party. No, it was, I also posted one with me in a spider girl costume, and I wrote that I would entangle her in my web of jujitsu. And she never <laughs> replied to that one. You got her. Bummer. Checkmate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, another one that I read uh, of yours from Bloody Elbow is about the rankings. And I've always had a massive gripe with the way that the rankings are done. Um, I feel like it's impossible to do things without bias if you're, if you're leaving it to, in the hands of people. Um, would you agree with that? Do you think that, that people will always have kind of these preconceived notions about um, fighters when they're, when they're coming up with these specific rankings that maybe it should be more of a systemic, um, something with an algorithm involved? Algorithm, that's the perfect word for it. So way back when, when I used to read the forums, um, they were trying to establish women's rankings, but there was there were no women in the UFC. So they were trying to rank like, okay, which woman fought how many times? When was her latest fight? Who did she fight against? 
who did that person beat? How did they win? Was it decision? Was it TKO? Like they had all these like equations, right? So that's how they determined the world women's rankings because there was no body to, you know, make rankings. So I expected that's how the UFC did it too. And I was surprised to find out that it was a, a panel of voters. So, um, I, uh, you know, I guess it is what it is. Uh, I'm not going to complain. I'm just going to win my fights so that they think I'm amazing and rank me higher. But I'm trying not to worry about it, you know, too much. Yeah, I've, I've spoke to Cajun Johnson, who had an issue with this as well. And he says that Fight Matrix is a website where they kind of use an algorithm that he, he oh, likes. Oh, Fight Matrix. I've heard of them. Yeah. So I, I think that that's something that they should definitely look at. Um, because even if you look at a lot of the... Like, I cover the sport, and I'm at a lot of different events, but if I look at the names of those who um, are, are submitting the rankings, I've only met maybe two or three of them in person. So these aren't people that are frequently at the events or anything of that nature, which I find to be interesting. Right. I don't really want to uh, say too many strong opinions about that because I don't want... You don't want... You don't want to, you, any bad backlash You should say that you love those that. people, and then you'll get higher rankings. <laughs> Absolutely. I love those people. They're amazing. I'm sure they're highly educated. Uh, the UFC is great. The ranking system is amazing. So thank you. I love you all. <laughs> all right. So, so this weekend, St. <laughs> Petersburg, Russia, um, Anthony Neshevchenko, uh, this is a, a big one for you. How, how much longer do you plan on, on sticking around? Do you think that uh, you have uh, a couple more years of uh, being highly competitive in this sport? <laughs> I remember when I first joined Syndicate five years ago, my coach like made some reference to something about working at the tail end of my career. And I was like, excuse me, (laughs) don't say that. So, I mean, I feel like I'm getting stronger. You know, I have a great strength and conditioning coach, Lorenzo Pavlica. I feel like I'm only getting stronger. My stamina is only increasing. I don't feel my age. I feel like I'm getting younger. Um, You know, I'm I'm improving. I don't have fossilized bad habits like a lot of other veteran fighters do. You know, um, I'm taking care of my brain. I think that's a huge one, you know, um, I know some fighters have retired due to concussions, you know, concussion symptoms. Um, I'm trying to wear headgear when kickboxing. You know, I'm training smart. I have great training partners at Syndicate MMA who don't try to knock me out all the time. Um, So, yeah, I just, I'm going to keep going until my body tells me to stop or until it's not good for me financially anymore. But I just feel like I'm getting better. So, so there. And uh, from, from looking at your day, and what you do from, you know, I guess from hour to hour, you, you had laid that out. What's your favorite part of your day? If you were to take from 3.30 a.m. until 9 p.m. when you go to sleep? Uh, probably my, my uh, private lessons with Coach John are my favorite part of the day because for most of my career, like about 10 years of my career, I really didn't have a coach. I had, you know, teachers of the classes that I went to, you know, and I had some people held mitts for me, but I didn't really have a guy who knew everything, the grappling, the wrestling. And he's so committed to me and he believes in me. And he traveled to corner me, even when it wasn't like a big financial gain for him. And I just feel like we're friends and just cool that I can just trust him. If he says punch this way, I can punch that way. So just having that awesome friendship with my coach who pretty much saved my career. It's just awesome. Like, I love it. That half an hour is my favorite part of the day. John Wood is amazing. Do you feel like you wish you would have had that structure earlier in your career looking back? I mean, uh, you had uh, you had one stage of your career from 2010 to 2013 where you had lost six in a row, and I imagine that was probably fairly debilitating. Absolutely. Man, I, I really didn't have a lot of guidance at all 
in my career. Um, I don't know if that was just my choice of locations or, you know, because I was in Japan. Um, or if that's, I think that's kind of the way things were back then. Yeah, I think that's like pretty much things evolved so much. Things have evolved so much in the recent years, you know, where people are very well-rounded and even the new fighters are coming up super well-rounded. But back in the day, you know, you were a grappler who did kickboxing or a kickboxer who did grappling and then got in a fight, you know. So we didn't really have an MMA coach, you know. You had your striking coach, your grappling coach. So um, I, don't, I don't even know if it existed back then, but I'm just happy to have him now. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for your time, Roxy. We really appreciate this. And, you know, best of luck with uh, this weekend, Anthony Neshevchenko, uh, a very, very worthy opponent, and uh, we look forward to seeing how that plays out. Thank you so much. It'll be a great fight. Tune in. That was Roxanne Modafferi, so she's hoping to confuse Anthony Neshevchenko with kind of some herky-jerky uh, Yeah, she's striking. got that style. Yeah, it's interesting. She's an old-school uh, competitor. I know she, that you mentioned that her and uh, Antonio Carvalho are probably our friends or something. Yeah, they, they were. They lived in Japan, in Japan for a little bit. So yeah. I mean, she's she's a. I, th- I mentioned like an OG. She's been around the game for a while, especially in women's MMA. She was doing her thing in Japan for for a long time. So, you know, nothing but the best for her. And I've noticed she's beaten a lot of like the legends of women's MMA. She's beaten Terra Larosa tra- twice. She's beaten Marlus Kunin. Like she's got yeah. a lot of good wins on her record. Because you look you at look her back. genetically, she doesn't look that gifted with with fight genetics and athletics, but. Her mind seems to be like it's it's on point for for the game. Like yeah. she really had to use her IQ to overcome a lot of the you know the genetic uh, deficiencies mm. that she didn't get. Yeah. And she's a Jedi. She doesn't mm. let emotion get in the way. That's what yeah. she she writes about. True martial artist. She really is a martial artist. Absolutely. So Joe, Joseph Valtellini on YouTube, latest video, another Let's combo go. of the day. What's this combo? Um, this one. So uh, what I've been doing is I do my main episode, which discusses the last one was um, front kick defense and then i put a combo of the day that has to relate to that video so you're going to learn to you know parry off the front kick or catch it and follow with combinations so yeah let's get it if you want to become a professional kickboxer you watch these videos or you go to bazooka kickboxing 680 progress road that's right sign up learn from the best who's going to be the next best kickboxer under the uh, the bazooka umbrella we're that's it see. and june 14th we're holding a, a bazooka invitational show really where's yeah. that um right across from the gym we rented a banquet hall um and we're going to set it up nice with um the laws changing glory uh should be coming to canada soon really so when's the when's the law come into effect um i heard very soon doug ford wrote something that it's going to change um i heard something around june-ish so my fingers right. are crossed um, it's still going to be we we um, the invitational we amateur? invited yeah because we can't do professional yet mm-hmm. but we got all the top amateurs um, and they're all going to be prestige belts where they have no shin guards so all the top amateurs are gonna I want to give them a platform so when glory does come they have a goal to kind of jump off to be able to get to the big show start building kickboxing here in Toronto so all right, June fourteenth we're holding a show I'll probably talk about it another million times. Mm-hmm. Well, you Still are then. a pioneer of kickboxing in the city. That's it. Did you ever fight amateur in the city? So you're allowed to fight amateur. Um, there was an organization called Camp Town, so I had seven amateur fights. But when I fought, it was like I needed headgear, chest protector, shin guards. Like I was like a, a big pillow, like you know? Player. Yeah. yeah. But uh, And then there was only seven. I won the Ontario title. And then after that, there was nothing. There was no organizations, no amateur fights. And then I jumped uh, over to the States to get some amateurs. I did a tournament, and then that was it. I only went uh, pro with 11 amateur fights. I went 11 and 0 as an amateur, then jumped right to pro. And when did you sign with Glory again? You were like what, eight and 0 or something? Or eight, and uh, eight and eight and one. Seven and one. Seven and one. Seven and one. Yeah. And you hate talking about that one. Yeah. Because elbows. 
mm-hmm. cheap. Oh yeah, the, fight me because no I never elbows, fought right? with elbows. Oh, oh, no, yeah, I never he, fought yeah, with yeah, elbows, yeah. and I fought uh, a French champion who 70, 80 elbow fights, and I've never had one. And he, I beat him up with kickboxing. He beat me with like two or three elbows. And did it happen in France? And did you just didn't no, it was Vegas lion okay. fight. Okay, lion fight. So the judges weren't biased then. No, lost the decision, but uh, yeah. Do you feel like you won that fight though? Based on kickboxing rules, yeah. Mm-hmm. My combinations, my, so my volume, so my pressure. Muay Thai, right? That's the all difference. Muay Thai. Yeah. He was body kicking, clinching elbow. Like I was, uh, my style was from day one was made for kickboxing. But mm-hmm. you got to take big fights, and there was no kickboxing fights, so I had to jump on those elbow fights. Now we'll never speak of it again. That's it. <laughs> all right, <laughs> never Joe. again. All right, Joe. Well, uh, best of luck on that. We'll talk more about that as it uh, as it leads up. And uh, until then, enjoy. Adios. Enjoy. Uh, UFC St. Petersburg. I, I keep thinking I'm going to come up with a good close one day. No. I, I should come up with something. You got to. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to figure it out. But until then, enjoy uh, UFC <laughs> St. Petersburg. Adios, amigos. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.